Awesome, a good crew. So, uh, this morning I would like to talk about hope. As I was praying about what to share, I, I preached this message last week in Calgary and with you guys this morning. And I don't know about you, the season we're living in, does anyone need more hope? And I sure do. Like, we're already in December of this year, and like, what a year it has been. And even this kind of like, where this message comes from, you know, in March, we officially started like as a church plant, if you will, March 1st. And March 15th, you couldn't meet anyone in person. And so we did... I'm like, we need to look to God. And so the people that I could gather, we started a Zoom Bible study. Look at who God is, studying the attributes of God. Because I believe Tozer, when he said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And as we are going through different attributes of God, God's all-powerful, he is all-knowing, God is sovereign. We kept coming back to Isaiah chapter 40 over and over again it has so much to say about who God is so that's where we'll be going this morning if you have a Bible however you either open it up or turn it on if you'll turn to Isaiah uh, chapter 40 we'll be looking at verse 21 here in a moment and what my desire is I want us to behold God I want us to look at who he is get our eyes off ourselves, even get our eyes off the fact it's December 6, 2020, and look at who God is. And as we look at that, I want to go through the scripture and land on verse 31 as we wait, as we trust, as we hope in the Lord, this promise that he will renew our strength. And so that's my prayer for all of us here this morning that however you came, that you would leave with more hope in God. Even maybe it's, it's already happened as we've been singing songs to God, as we heard this amazing testimony of what God did in your life. I'm, I'm already growing more hope in the Lord, and I pray that he would do that during this message. So before we open up God's word, I'm just going to uh, pray one more time. Oh Lord, what a blessing it is to meet together. Sing praises to your name. Hear how you've worked in your saints in the past, given peace in the hardest of times. And now as we open up your scripture, oh Lord, may you give us eyes to see you more clearly. Give us ears to hear your word. Holy Spirit, apply this word to our hearts. And that we would hope in you. That our hope in you would grow. That we'd be hopeful people, even in the midst of... Uh, seemingly hopeless season here at times. So Lord, bless the preaching of your word this morning. Uh, for your glory and honor, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So if yeah, you'll turn to Isaiah, just before we jump in, as we, we're in just like a totally different book, just some quick background. Isaiah, the prophet, he ministered during the reigns of, after the death of King Uzziah, uh, all the way to King Hezekiah. So it spanned about maybe 739 B.C. to 680 B.C., around that time. And in Isaiah's time, the Assyrians uh, were growing more powerful, and Israel and Judah were decreasing in power and influence. They were declining. 
The book of Isaiah is, is very distinct in terms of like two parts, like uh, chapters 1 to 39 is kind of seen as a, a book of judgment, this judgment on nations. But then chapter 40 to 66 is, 66 is so distinctly different, it has been called the book of comfort. And just total side note, it's really just kind of interesting, there's 39 uh, books in the Old Testament, 27 in the New, and 39 in this the first part of Isaiah, and 27 uh, in the second. I won't press that any further. I just think that's neat. But so, because the books are it's so distinctly like divided, many scholars think, well, Isaiah didn't write the second part of this book because it's so different. In fact, it speaks so clearly to exiles, uh, like the people from Judah exiled in Babylon, or people who have been left there after everyone has been taken away. And it, the thing is, in Isaiah's time, that's like 150 years before that actually happened. So, so many scholars are like, I don't think Isaiah wrote it. But just to say a few things about that, there's much to say, but quite simply, every New Testament writer who quotes Isaiah, either from that first section or the second section, they all say Isaiah was the author. And even in, in John's gospel, John 12, 38 to 41, he quotes from Isaiah 53 and Isaiah 6, and attributes them both to Isaiah. And it's really, it's actually not really a big deal at all if you believe what scripture says, that the one who created everything and spoke it into existence inspired men to write a book. Like it's no big deal for him to speak into the future things that are going to happen before they do as he did with the birth of Christ, as he did with so many other things. So I don't think it's a really big idea Isaiah wrote this entire book. We'll be in Isaiah chapter 40, but Isaiah chapter 39, it kind of like, it, it changes. Isaiah 39, King Hezekiah has this envoy from Babylon, this rising nation, kind of like ambassadors, and it's kind of like a show and tell. He brings them into the kingdom and he shows them everything. Look at all of our gold, look at all of our armory. And then Isaiah rebukes him. He says, the time's coming. They're going to come here, destroy everything, and take everything you've shown them. And then Isaiah chapter 40, it, it begins, and it's speaking to people where, like, that had already happened in the future, where they had already been taken from Judah, and either to those still in the land, only a few, or to those waiting in exile. And so if you look at Isaiah uh, chapter 40, Verse 1 it begins this way, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double from all her sins. Speaking to like this has already happened, this judgment upon them. So you think of those who would be hearing this book read, this scroll in time, they would have been in a really tough situation, either had just went through a trial, still going through a trial, asking, where is God? Isaiah starts in, in 49 verse 9, this amazing uh, passage, it says, go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news, lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news, lift it up, fear not, say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. And that's what I pray the Lord does to us this morning, that we behold who he is. We'll be, uh, for time-wise, jumping ahead to verse 21 to 31, but I want us to behold God. 
Verse 21 and on. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither, and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their hosts by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even you shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. May God bless this word to us this morning. This, jumping back in, verses 21 to 24, I want us to see that God is the ruler, the ruler over all. Look at verse 21. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? Think to the original audience. Like, don't you guys know this? Don't you know this about God? Maybe you've forgotten. Let me remind you about who God is. Let me tell you about, about how wonderful, how high and mighty he is. Look at verse 22. It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in. Like amazing, the immensity of God is on display. He is above the earth. He is above us. Its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, right? I love that. He's so much bigger, bigger, bigger than us than we can even imagine, than we can even articulate with words. The heavens are like a tent for God to sit in. Is this the God you know? Even when Solomon de dedicates the temple... 1 Kings 8.27, he says this, But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house I have built. God is so huge, so immense. But it's actually insulting to us because humanly speaking, like we want to reach to the heavens. Right? Even in, in the Tower of Babel, right from the, the get-go, like if we can build uh, a building and to reach the heavens. We can be like God. And even we still have that attitude in our hearts. As in, in even building towers, we want to reach the heavens. The, the biggest tower currently in the world, and I say currently because they're always trying to one-up one, one another, is the Burj Khalifa in Dubai. It's over 2,700 feet. That's four and one-third Calgary Towers. <laughs> I don't know, that's like, how do you grasp that, Really? The, the, next, the second tallest, the Shanghai Tower in China, is just over 2,000 
feet. But it's the tallest twisted building in the world. However, it's, it's built. And the third largest is the Abraj Albait. Excuse my pronunciation. Just under 2,000 feet in Mecca, Saudi Arabia. The tallest building with a clock face. And it's interesting. If you're not the tallest building, you're the tallest twisted building or the tallest building with a clock face or whatever it is that you can be the best because we want to reach to the heavens that's where God just puts his tent. And even if you build the highest tower in the world, it's still we're still like grasshoppers to him. Just how amazing God is. doesn't matter what we do. God is so much bigger than us. So it's humbling. It's a humbling thing to hear. And to think about who this God is and what he does with the rulers of our world. Look at verse 23. He who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Like, how amazing is that? I was reading in uh, the book of Daniel uh, a few weeks ago, and just like, as I'm thinking, wow, does he really just take princes out like that? Is it that quick? And maybe you guys know the story, Daniel chapter 5, and uh, Belshazzar is the king in Babylon. It's their time in the sun, and they've grown strong, and they're having a big party. And Belshazzar says, hey, bring the, the golden cups that we took from Jerusalem years and years ago, and we're going to drink wine from them. And then all of a sudden, this writing appears on the wall, this hand. And no one can understand what the writing says until they get Daniel, and Daniel, by the Lord, can interpret it. And it says, you have been weighed and found wanting. And this very night, this kingdom is going to be taken from you. And then Darius the Mede, or King Cyrus, shows up and takes out the kingdom in a moment, gone. You know, even in history, Alexander the Great conquered so much of the known world so fast. By the age he was 33, just took over and dominated, spread Greek language and culture. When he was 33, he was either poisoned or it could have been an infection. Done. But you call him Alexander the Great. So in a moment, God can take out the rulers of this world. Look at verse 24 as it goes on. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble. Uh, commentator Alec Moiter says this, history is long as we live through it, but brief as we look back at it. And I hope that as we just look back at history, we can see how quickly kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall. Again, I was, I was encouraged uh, in Daniel chapter 2, another maybe story you've heard as a kid if you grew up in the church, and Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful person at that time in Babylon, had this dream. And in this dream, he saw this statue, and the statue, the first part was gold, and the second part silver, the third bronze, and then iron and clay on his feet. And no one could interpret this dream until Daniel, by the Lord's power, came and interpreted it for him. And what it was is, is representative of each kingdom. And in that time, the Babylon, Babylonian kingdom was the gold. That's Nebuchadnezzar. Okay, great. Then the silver was the Medes and the Persians coming behind them. Then after that was the Greeks. And then after that, the Roman Empire. But in Nebuchadnezzar's dream, he also saw this rock that was not cut by human hands and it smashed the statue. The kingdoms of the world crumbled and this rock kept growing bigger and bigger, and that rock is the kingdom of God. 
Amen. That we see expanded by the preaching of the word of God, by churches growing. And I just want to remind you today what we, we look and we look back in the past, how kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall, and rulers step forth and they have their time in the sun, and then they're gone when God says so. That we would not be fearful in this time. Where we look to the States or to China or to Canada, Alberta. We need to, of course, pray for those in authority over us, but we had we don't need to be fearful. We don't need to be anxious. God is the one who's in control. He is the ruler over all. I just want to encourage, that, encourage you with that this morning. Let's get that right perspective. God is the ruler. In verses 25 to 26, I want us to see God is holy. There is, there is none like him. Verse 25, to whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Like, who is God like, right? Even when you're describing, you know, someone to someone else, oh, like, you don't know this person? Oh, they're like so-and-so. You know, they're like this tall or have this color of eyes, and we can compare other people to describe the people we're trying to describe. But who is God like? There is none like him. That's, That's a, the, the, one of the definitions or parts of holiness. God is totally other, so separate from us. Of course, the other part of holiness is his purity, how he abhors evil. But Isaiah, I think, really is just nailing down, like, there is no one else like God. That's the, the God that we serve. Look at verse 26. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. And you think to the original hearers uh, who would have heard this, maybe some of them actually even worship the stars. And they're putting their hope somewhere else. Isaiah's like, no, look to the stars. Not one is missing because of his great power. One commentator said it like this, it's like how an owner tells a dog to stay. That's how our God does to all the stars in the sky. How amazing is that? Is this the God that you serve? Another commentator spells it out like this. Larry Walker, he said, he said this. It is said that on a clear, moonless night, about 3,000 stars are visible to the unaided eye. A small telescope increases the number to 100,000, and these stars are all in our Milky Way galaxy, which numbers about 100 billion stars, and some say 100 to 400 billion, I don't know. And, and, and around 100 billion of such galaxies are known to exist. It's one of those things that like, as the number just keeps growing, like we just, I don't know how many Calgary Towers, <laughs> right, like it's, it's just so massive, it's so mind-blowing, but God spoke every one of those stars into existence, and they don't go anywhere because he says so. That's the God that we serve. And, and just like in thinking, applying this message, I, I would encourage you on a night when it's, the clouds aren't in the sky to get out of olds, or if you're in the country, just go outside, away from you where you live, and just look up and gaze at the stars. And just be so encouraged that, oh yeah, God's the one who put each one of them there and they're not going anywhere because he said so. He is holy. He is like none other. And that is our God. May we behold him. 
Look at verses uh, 27 and 28. I want us to see how God is intimate with his creation. From the stars to our lives. Look at verse 27. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Again, just think to maybe those in exile who had been taken out of Judah, and they're just like wondering, like, God, where are you? I thought we were your, your covenant people. Why did this happen? Does he even care? Like maybe God hasn't seen what has happened to us. But even for us, like if we were just to read on in the book of Isaiah, we know that God cares. He knows, he sees, and he has a plan. Because if we kept reading Isaiah, the end of Isaiah chapter 44, Isaiah 45, God calls out King Cyrus by name, this pagan king. He's like, he's going to come to the throne. He's going to send the people back home. Amazing. And that's why some people, scholars, are like, how do they know? Is God the one who put the stars in the sky? He wrote a book. <laughs> he can easily tell the future. King Cyrus called out. He's going to send the people back. And then if we, as we read other scripture, Ezra or Nehemiah, we know that even other pagan kings helped bankroll the rebuilding of the temple of Jerusalem, the rebuilding of the walls. So no one can say, hey, God doesn't see. We actually know that nothing is hidden from God. He knows the very details of their lives. He had a plan of how he's going to bring them back. But sometimes in this season, are we asking those same questions? During 2020, God, where are you? Do you see what's happening? I just think, just a question, why is it that when we suffer or go through trials, we can feel like God is far from us? But when we're in good times, times of material prosperity and comfort, we assume God's closeness. When really, like, God is always with us, but particularly in trials, there's a closeness that we feel there's a, there's a proximity, almost this, a tangible, like God is truly with us as we walk through this. He's not forsaken us. I just want to remind you again, just reading a few verses from Psalm 139, how close God is always with us today. Whatever comes in the days to come. Isaiah 139, just verses 1 to 6, the Psalm of David. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Just how close God is with each one of us. When the service is done, he knows when you're going to get up. He knows when you're going to sit down for lunch. He knows every detail of our lives so intimately. Look at verse 28, almost this, this answer to that question that the people were asking of God, do you see what I'm going through? Do you really care? God, are, are you really in control? Verse 28, have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. And here I'm just going to hit them quick, but there's just like so much, like this is who God is. 
the attributes of God. The Lord is the everlasting God. He is eternal. No beginning, no end. That's the, the God that we serve. And just to, uh, if uh, someone asks you, they try to stump you like, well, but how old is God? Like, he's eternal. That's actually not a valid question. Right? Like, truly, if God's eternal, then that, that question actually makes no sense whatsoever. No beginning, no end. Not only is God eternal, we see in here, he's the creator of the ends of the earth. Right? Like, this world screams because of its order everywhere. There is a creator. If you look at the seasons, when winter hits us, we can have our head up because we know spring is going to come and then summer after it, fall. God has order in this world. The water cycles, the human body is so intricate. God is creator of the ends of the earth. And he holds it all together now. He does not faint or grow weary. God is, he's all powerful. He's inexhaustible. The second law of thermodynamics to butcher it, butcher it and simplify it, like things break down. And if anyone has a science background, they're like, whoa. But all I want to say is like God doesn't get tired or weary or exhausted. He's the one who created all the laws of the universe. All of us, we get tired. We break down. You need to renovate your house. You need to change your tires as you drive on them. Everything breaks down, not God. God doesn't get tired or weary. And his understanding is unsearchable. He knows all things. Pastor Erwin Lutzer says this, Has it ever occurred to you that nothing has ever occurred to God? So I say that again. I love that. Has it ever occurred to you that nothing has ever occurred to God? He's all-knowing. Like, I just want to remind you, like that's the God we serve in 2020, whatever we've been through, whatever we will be through, we serve the God who's eternal, who's the creator of the ends of the earth, who's all-knowing, all-powerful, will not get tired or weary. That is our God. If you'd be interested in studying a little bit more of the attributes of God, I would encourage you to check out this, this book if you just search online, A.W. Pink, The Attributes of God. It's like a free PDF. And it's like each attribute is like one, uh, pair, or one page at a time. So easily you can like read with your scripture. I want to know about more who God is. I recommend you check it out. A.W. Pink, The Attributes of God. Of course, in this message, I'm just like, we're just like touching on things. I really, I want to get to verse 31. <laughs> but like, look at who God is. He is ruler. He is holy. He is intimate with his creation. He sees what we're going through in this time. We go verses 29 to 31. He wants to hope in our God, to wait on him, to trust in him, to find our strength in him. Look at verse 29. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases his strength. Again, just to think those who are reading or hearing Isaiah in exile, just like tired, exhausted, just asking like, when? When, maybe when are we going to return again, Lord? What, what is happening? 
And again, I think it's so comparable to us today. I don't know if any of you have been like, when is this going to be over? I don't know about you, but like, I'm just emotionally exhausted at times. It's like, ah. Oh. But I love here, and as we continue on this, it's promise that to him who has no might, he gives strength. To the faint, he gives strength. Just like, I don't know if you're like, you know, you're really hungry, you're tired, you're weak, and you eat some food, and your eyes like brighten and quicken. That's what God can do for us in our tiredness, in our weariness. Look at verse 30. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. And, and even as it talks about young men shall fall exhausted, it's talking about like young people in their prime, like the prime of their life, their best physical shape, they can get tired and exhausted by life, right? And when we know this to be true, uh, just years ago, as a youth pastor, I somehow was convinced, I'm like, it'd be a good idea to have an all-nighter at the church with the youth. We'll play games, we'll have food, we'll be teaching and worship, and we'll just kind of keep cycling through that. You can imagine at like 4.30 in the morning, like I'm like sharing a message with the fer- whatever fervency I have, and just like maybe they're praying. <laughs> and and then, we, then we finish it all off at like 7 o'clock with a breakfast. And I kid you not, every single face, tired, exhausted, angry. <laughs> They, even these young people in their prime. I just wanted to, especially to teenagers, young adults, like this season has been incredibly hard. Losing the ability to, to celebrate, whether it's graduations or, or weddings or things with friends, whatever you had going on before, or sports or school or other activities or just getting together freely with friends. It's, it's tiring, it's exhausting, even for the strongest and the youngest among us. It's, it's tiring and exhausting for all of us, right? There's a heaviness, a weariness in this season. It's, it's dark outside. There's a darkness in this world. But, but we don't stay there. That's what I love. Look at verse 31. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. That word, they who wait, that Hebrew word could be translated, they who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. They who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. It's not just like hoping in in, in something like, ah, maybe that will happen. Like if we can hope in a mild winter, (laughs) we're like, It's nice right now, but really we don't know. But it's hoping in something that's so certain, hoping in God, the one who doesn't change, the one who puts a tent over the heaven. It's a certainty. And that's why we can hope and trust and find strength. And we can wait on the Lord. Think about this this waiting for Israel, like those who would have, again, heard this message, and they were waiting on the Lord, whether they were in exile, saying, Lord, when will we return? And then in in time, they they returned back to the homeland, to Judah, and rebuilt it. But then even as as other prophets, and other prophets before them had spoke, there's this coming Messiah, one who's going to set things right, one who's going to bring justice. 
And they're waiting and hoping and watching. And even the reason we have, I guess, I learned this last week, the reason we have four candles in Advent is because the last prophet in the Old Testament, Malachi, to the coming of Christ is 400 years. 400 years of silence. Each candle represents 400 years. I'm sorry, 100 years of waiting. And you think in there, waiting, like, when is this Messiah coming? He hasn't come yet. But then one day he came, right? The promised Messiah, the baby was born in Bethlehem. Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus, the Lord saves. He came. Their hope was not disappointed. Their waiting was over. Jesus came. So just thinking, how do you have hope in this time? For some who are here today or listening, for some who are trying to live your life on your own strength, you're trying to do it your own way, I would encourage you with this message, learn more about Jesus, this one who came, we celebrate his birth at this season, grab a Bible and, and read one of the Gospels, read the Gospel of Luke, get the story of his birth, but keep reading who he is, what he did, why he came. Even in this unique season, listen to some of these old Christmas songs. What I mean by that, these Christ-honoring Christmas songs, like, God, rest you, merry gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. Remember, Christ, our Savior, was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power when we had gone astray. It's like, whoa, that's in a, that's in a Christmas song? That's amazing. Listen to some of these songs, the lyrics, think about it. Is that true? Because we know that even though that Jesus says he came as a baby, we know why he came. 1 Timothy 1.15, the Apostle Paul says this, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And then Paul says, of whom I am and the worst. And we could all argue with one another who is the worst sinner amongst us, but we're all equally in need of the Savior that came, Jesus Christ. So if you are listening today and you have not yet trusted in Jesus, I would encourage you to read the Gospel of Luke, listen to these Christmas songs. And as you learn more about Jesus Christ, put your hope and trust in Him. You can live a life of hope, even as we heard testified before this message, we're at peace that doesn't pass any understanding. You go through trials in this world, and yet there's this peace deep within you because of trusting in Jesus, because he took your sin and your shame upon himself and upon a cross. And you receive his peace and his hope. I just encourage, if you're living today and you never have, you could pray a simple prayer of surrender to the Lord. God, my life is yours. I want to trust in Jesus. He'll fill you with your hope, with his hope, with God's hope. For everyone here today, and look at verse 31, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. Again, how do you wait on the Lord in this season? Like this is going to be a Christmas like no other, for, for sure. Just a few ways to think through, like how do you apply this? I would encourage you, reread Isaiah 40. Like the whole chapter. 
We just, we've been running through it, like just sit in and write down everything you can learn about who God is. Be encouraged. I just heard an announced before I came up, this Wednesday, right, there's a, is it a prayer and worship? It's happening here at 7.30. That's a way that you can increase your hope in the Lord. Come together, like what else do we have on our schedules? <laughs> Come and pray and worship like we're allowed to do that. Nothing should stop us. Listen to those old Christmas hymns and just blare them in your house. It's, it's like remember that Jesus came and why he came. It's a time to celebrate. Another thought is, I don't know about you, like in this season, it's like, man, this is not how it's supposed to be. We're just frustrated, but really, friends, since Genesis chapter 3, since Adam and Eve sinned, it's not how it's supposed to be. And now our world is kind of what we thought was routine has been turned upside down, but it's just continually not how it's supposed to be. And as we look around and we're frustrated, I would encourage you, turn your frustrations into prayers. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm not saying I'm doing it perfectly, but as I'm like angry and upset about what's going on, then I, I want to turn and I want to pray to God. I want to pray for my leaders. I want to maybe pray for other people, pray for my own heart. Turn your frustrations into prayers. And wherever you're at in your Bible reading, I, I think of this two ways. If you're like you're following a plan and you've got, you're still on your plan in December, you can easily add something else. You're very disciplined. <laughs> So, so like, like sit in Luke, Luke chapter, chapter 1 and 2 and just like meditate upon the amazing birth of Jesus Christ. And if you maybe you're like you've lost your plan long ago, like go to Luke chapter 1 and 2 and meditate upon these things. Because in Isaiah chapter 40, we looked at this morning, we see the transcendence of God. We see how God is so high and mighty and he's up there. But as we think about the birth of of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We see the imminence, the, the closeness, the, the nearness of God, that He came down as a man. He's close to us. The light of the world. Is my, my prayer for myself, my prayer for you, is that in December, that we would be so distracted, transfixed, thinking upon how amazing is the birth of Christ, we would maybe even miss the next government announcement or the, the latest update about COVID. Someone's like, did you hear about something? No, I didn't, I didn't hear because actually I was just thinking so strongly how an infinite God could be clothed in human flesh and crying as a baby. Like think about how amazing that is. Friends, let, us, let that captivate our thoughts in this season. And as you look to who God is in Isaiah chapter 40, as you look at his nearness to us, as you meditate upon Christ's birth, I pray for all of us we would gain strength and be weary and not be weary and find hope in the Lord. We see the, the fruit of this in the second part of verse 31. They who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I love that picture there. Mount up with wings like eagles. A few years ago, as I was coming out of the seminary in Cochrane, it was like God's perfect timing that I saw this eagle just gliding. And as I was kind of walking home, I lived on the campus, it just kept getting higher and higher in the sky, just gliding. 
And eventually it was so hot, I couldn't even see it anymore. But it wasn't flapping its wings, it wasn't struggling, it was just gliding. I think that's why God gives us that picture here, that as we wait on him, as we trust in him, as we put our hope in him, we go about life from a place of resting in him, a place of peace. Knowing the one who's in control. Just, I'll be over this message in one second. I just want to encourage you, all of you, like don't waste this trial that we're currently going through. I don't know if any of you have ever prayed, God, I want to know you more. I want to draw closer to you. I want to become a man or a woman of prayer. Whatever else God is, is doing in this time, whatever excuses we had to not do that, he's taken them away from us. And we, we better be becoming men and women of prayer. We better, we can draw close to God like we've never had before in this season. Don't waste this trial as whatever we were leaning on has been taken from us. Let's turn to God and grow closer to him in this time. So I hope in this passage that you saw so clearly that God is the ruler. God is holy. God is intimate with his creation. Let us hope, trust, and find strength in our God. It's going to close this time in prayer, and we will move to uh, uh, taking communion. So for those who are leading worship, I don't know if you guys want to come up as I pray. Lord, Lord,